This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Overcoming great challenges like COVID-19 requires great cooperation. This is Dan Hilferty, CEO of Independence Blue Cross. Most of us never imagined we'd be facing an outbreak of this magnitude. But in the face of this challenge, hospitals, public officials, and business leaders have come together. Through effective cooperation, these leaders are taking steps to keep us safe. Slowing the rate of infection from the virus will help hospitals care for those who need attention most. Remember, stay home, leave only for essential needs. Stay informed from sources like the CDC or Department of Health. Take a break from watching the news. Stay well, exercise, and practice self-care to make sure you're physically and mentally fit. In our great region, we have a tradition of caring for each other and cooperating to get things done. We'll do it again now. For more, visit ibx.com slash COVID-19. Together, we will beat COVID-19. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. A radio.com station. From the Malamut and Associates Law Studios, it's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independent. Blue Cross. That is a very, very robust, vigorous achu sneeze. That's what that is. And that's not what we're talking about. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning, friends, and welcome in on this beautiful Sunday, National Celiac Day. And thank you for joining your radio doctor. I'm honored to be your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Today we have outstanding guests from the Celiac Center at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. Both are super experts on celiac disease and all things gluten. First, we'll hear from Dr. Anthony J. DiMarino Jr., a nationally recognized authority on celiac disease. Then a return visit from our friend Emily Rubin, the dietitian from the Celiac Center, who will guide us through the gluten-free diet. So we begin. Dr. Anthony J. DiMarino, Jr., the Darns H. Hamilton Professor of Medicine, Chief Division of the Gastroenterology and Hepatology at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital, has an international reputation as a preeminent consultant in our field of GI. Prior to Jefferson, he served as Chief of GI at Presbyterian Hospital at the University of Penn. He's authored over 300 original papers, chapters, books, and co-authored a textbook. He's received countless awards from National Medical and GI Societies, a top doc in Philly Magazine multiple times, and named one of the best gastroenterologists in America. Currently the president of the prestigious International Baca Society, he is loved and respected by colleagues and patients alike as a leader, a gentleman, and a scholar. But most importantly, he's my boss. So yeah. welcome, Jay. It's an honor to have you on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Uh, so there's so much confusion around celiac disease and gluten. How do you define celiac disease when a patient asks you? Well, uh, first of all, it's really nice to be on in the National Celiac Day. It's really uh, important to increase awareness of this 
situation that involves one uh, percent of the American population, believe it or not. And in fact, those of you listening who think you don't know someone who has celiac disease, uh, really, uh, there are probably several people that you know, uh, since it is so common at one percent. What it is is an autoimmune enteropathy. That's a big word, but basically means that your body has developed antibodies that hurt yourself. And, and it's, it's in response to gluten, which is a protein moiety of wheat, rye, and barley, and exists almost in almost everything that we eat or drink these days. And so how does that hurt your small intestine? Yeah, so so it, what happens is a, an inflammatory cascade. In other words, inflammation develops in response to the ingestion of gluten, that which uh, eventually leads to inflammation of the small intestine, uh, which leads to absorption. It interferes with your body's ability to absorb all the nutrients and food that uh, you need to uh, sustain life and to grow. As a youngster, for example, uh, many yeah, babies or young people who have celiac disease don't grow uh, normally, and um, or and the, the adults who who have it uh, have a deficiency of some component of their diet. Eventually, um, it has lots of different symptoms. Um, many people are not even aware that they have it at all. In fact, uh, we do know that. One percent of the population has celiac disease, as I said a bit earlier. But ten percent, ten percent, or ten times more people that are first-degree relatives of somebody. In other words, if your child has it, they're either your parents or the other siblings, uh, or if they're older, their own children, they have a ten percent chance of of getting it. Um, half the people know it because they get some bloating, they have diarrhea, they may have some uh, gas, some abdominal discomfort, but probably another full half of the people are not at all aware of it and have no GI symptoms. So it's, a, it's so, an important disease to, to, or at least to be aware of. And that's why it's so insidious, I guess, because if you say about 50% of the people get the clue because they have diarrhea or bloatedness, the other 50%, it might surface for another reason. As you say, maybe they have a relative and they're wise enough to get checked, but other people might show up with anemia. Or as you say, if the small bowel, which is our sponge, doesn't get to do its job of absorbing all the nutrients we need, if you're low in iron, you get an anemia. If your calcium intake is low, then that's why people get osteopenia or brittle bones, et cetera. And you were going to tell us about some of the other um, symptoms people might have. Yeah, there are lots of symptoms. In fact, it's really a, a, a diagnosis and a topic, uh, Marianne, that lends itself to what we call a Grand Rounds presentation at various institutions across, certainly the Delaware Valley. That means all the hospitals or the teaching centers. And because it affects so many different parts of the body, for example, a rash called dermatitis herpetiformis, 
um, they're all 80% of these people, they, they have what looks like herpes on their backs or, or their arms or, or legs. In fact, it's very common on the uh, elbows. So if uh, listeners have these little uh, pimples that develop on, on the elbows, that's something to be brought to your attention of the uh, your family doctor. But it also can be even simple, uh, something as simple as a, uh, a, a canker sore or a, a sore mouth or um, uh, headaches. Uh, it, it's the third leading cause of peripheral neuropathy. Peripheral neuropathy is a very big topic these days, it, and diabetics get it, and uh, people who are um, deficient in B12. But the third leading cause of peripheral neuropathy uh, which causes uh, havoc with your your feet and your hands, for example, is actually celiac disease. So it's something to be, if, if uh, listeners have that, uh, uh, the peripheral neuropathy, want to make sure that you're tested for, uh, for celiac disease. Even though you may have, that's something to be thought about. Well, sure, because as you say, if the sponge part of your GI tract isn't working and you don't absorb B12, you can lose the sensation in your feet or you can have headaches. Some even have epilepsy from it. Or I know you've always reminded us that, and we see it in patients sometimes, late onset of uh, periods or early menopause. Some women have miscarriages. Some couples are infertile either because of the woman or the uh, abnormal sperm motility can be from celiac. Uh, changes in hair, skin, nails, so many features. And, and when we see that dermatitis herpetiformis on somebody's elbows, it's so classic. And, um, and again, when you're not absorbing calcium, uh, you're more likely to have broken bones and fractures and, and arthritis. Let's take a little break, Jay, and we'll be back in just a moment with more about celiac disease. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.com. And we're back with Dr. Anthony J. DiMarino from the Jefferson Celiac Center. So, Jay, we talked about celiac disease, what it means, and some of the symptoms. How do we test for celiac to confirm the diagnosis? Marianne, a great question, and it's an easy answer because, in, in fact, um, it's not inappropriate if patients have some of these symptoms, uh, unexplained anemia or uh, osteoporosis that doesn't seem to, particularly osteoporosis in a man, um, to be thinking about um, celiac disease. So, um, if you bring it to the attention of your family doctor today, fortunately, uh, we have an easy blood test. It's called a tissue transglutaminase. It's, rather than worry about the exact diagnosis, all you have to do is ask your doctor to uh, order from some of the reference labs um, the celiac antibody test. And and if that's positive, then we confirm that, generally speaking, we'll almost always confirm that with a biopsy of a small intestine. And the way we do that is just an upper endoscopy and a small pinch biopsy. It doesn't hurt. It's not dangerous. 
it's a very safe way to make the diagnosis. But that's really how most diagnoses are made, at least in adults. In children, there's a sort of a, uh, a play these days, particularly in younger children, to uh, rely on blood tests and the gene test. There is a gene for celiac disease. But I want to make sure that your listeners know that 30% of the American population, 30% actually has the gene. But not all people, as I said earlier, only about 1% in general have the the, the disease. And as I said, the first degree relatives are 10%. But if you do the math on that, what I'm saying is a lot of people walk around with the gene and never develop celiac disease. So a gene test is something that that can be done by your doctor or any reference lab. Uh, and then it can be confirmed if you um, have a positive uh, antibodies by a small bowel biopsy. Sure. And I think what I always like to remind my patients, let's say you have a relative that has uh, celiac disease and you're concerned if you have it, even if you have no symptoms, it's important to find out. And don't ever go on a gluten-free diet without asking your doctor and being tested, A, because it's incredibly hard, but B, if you end up getting tested and you don't have gluten in your system, your blood tests and or your biopsy can be normal in appearance and you can be fooled into thinking that you're okay. The enemy gluten has to be in your system in order for the blood tests and the biopsies to be positive. Am I right? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll meet a patient who says, I feel better now that I've eliminated gluten and they want to be tested. And I say, oh, gosh, well, sorry, we're going to have to have you eat two slices of bread every day for two weeks before you come back. I think that's a pretty good measure. So the other thing. Yeah, sorry. You mentioned that celiac's an autoimmune condition. So the body is uh, sending antibodies or soldiers out against itself. Can it be linked to other autoimmune conditions? Absolutely. In fact, uh, the two main reasons why you want to be tested, even if you don't have symptoms, even if you don't have problems with your digestive tree and, and bloating and gas and so forth, because there is an increased risk. Uh, and in fact, what we have are now some blood tests that were done 50 years ago. And and, um, many different individuals, mostly people who were in the service and enlisting in the service, what we've saved is blood tests, and we blanked this blood over 50 years and then gone back and tested these individuals. In fact, there there was a very nice nice study of 10,000 individuals at the Mayo Clinic. They went back and tested individuals from 50 years ago against today. And as I said, 1% is the incidence today in the American population. It turns out that it was only about 0.2% in those days. And this has been confirmed by various authors. And the question is, it's increasing. This autoimmune condition is increasing, Marianne. And it not only is increasing in the United States, but increasing throughout the world. In fact, in uh, Finland, it's approaching 3% of the population. It may not sound like a big number. Well, you do 3% of, say, 300 million people. That's a lot of folks walking around with 
celiac disease in the United States, for example, if we were ever to get that high. But to answer sure. your question specifically, mm-hmm. there are other autoimmune conditions, including such things as rheumatoid arthritis or scleroderma or lupus erythematosus or uh, inflammatory bowel disease like ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. Eosinophilic esophagitis, autoimmune hepatitis, these are all other conditions. Type 1 diabetes mellitus. In one clinic, there were 12% of the uh, youngsters, and these are all people under 15, who were tested in a diabetes clinic, and they found 12% of those patients had uh, celiac disease that was undiagnosed. So, yeah, there are autoimmune where there's smoke. Unfortunately, there's often fire. And as you say, if there's any kind of uh, autoimmune activity in the liver, sometimes a person just appears for a routine checkup. Maybe we're doing a screening colon exam. We do routine labs, and we find changes in their liver studies and find it. It can be so subtle. And it's interesting that you say about Europe because traditionally we think it's um, especially more common in Irish and Italian uh, people or people of Irish and Italian descent, but it's in Northern Africa. It's in, it's really spreading across the world, which says, okay, what's the cause? Is it all genetic or is there a lot of environmental influence as well with, with so many diseases? So yeah. then how do we go about treatment, Jay? The treatment's not easy. No, treatment's not easy. You think it would be because it's really about a gluten-free diet. And so many people these days uh, either think they have, uh, you know, celiac disease or hey, have gluten sensitivity, which is a whole nother aspect. In fact, for everyone that has gluten uh, celiac disease, they have gluten sensitivity maybe as much as eight times more common. So, or as I said, 1% of the population in the United States, approaching 10% of people these days are either avoiding gluten or think they have some uh, symptoms that uh, bother them after eating gluten. The, the, the treatment, though, is a gluten-free diet, which fortunately today in 2020 is much easier than it was 10 years ago, but it's still tough. In fact, uh, it's very, it's particularly tough on youngsters. I mean, go to a, you, you go to school and you have a party and somebody's birthday and next thing you know, cake and cookies can't be shared by everybody. So they feel kind of isolated and so but in adults it's also difficult over time most everybody is exposed inadvertently fortunately because celiac patients once they know what the treatment is they're very good about trying to be on a gluten-free diet but every now and again they have foods that they think are are gluten-free and they're not and they get sure and Yeah, and you make a good point that it can sneak into your diet. So our plea with our patients when we find celiac is please come back for regular checkups. So at least we do yearly blood tests because we can tell if your antibodies become positive again, if even though you're being religious about avoiding gluten, it might be sneaking into your diet. We have a whole segment coming up next with Emily because let's say you order um, eggs in a restaurant and they cook them on the same grill as French toast you're going to be exposed to gluten. And the other thing is we want to stay watching uh, in case um, your celiac kicks in again. Are you developing anemia? 
Are you de developing abnormal liver studies? And at what point do we do a DEXA scan to make sure your bones aren't losing calcium content? The, the very good point, Marianne. And, and we, in fact, insist that everybody, even the youngsters, and we only mm -hmm. treat from 18 on and at uh, Jefferson Adult, although we have a pediatric group, an excellent pediatric group as well. But the adults that you and I treat, uh, we insist that they get a DEXA scan and they meet with uh, Emily Ruman, for example, uh, to uh, know all that there is to know about a gluten-free diet. Don't forget that the other thing I wanted to say quickly is that not only are there increased risk of other autoimmune if you don't go on a gluten-free diet, but there's some types of tumors in the body which uh, are, can be avoided if you take a gluten-free diet, particularly lymphoma. So uh, it's important to make a diagnosis. Don't ignore it. Yes, and please get tested if you have a family history um, so that you know your future risks of lymphoma and other GI cancers. So Jay, we'll come back and talk about the future of celiac in terms of therapy and new forms of testing, possibly a vaccine. So let's take a little break and we'll hear from Emily Rubin and then we'll come back to Dr. DiMarino. Thanks, Jay. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. And we're back. So happy to have Emily Rubin, the Director of Clinical Dietetics and the Dietitian for the Jefferson Celiac Center. She is a registered dietitian and the chair of public relations of the Philadelphia Academy of Dietetics. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us. You are just a wealth of information. I love talking to you. I always learn when I talk to you. Yeah, so, thanks so much for having me. Yay. There's so yeah. much confusion around gluten and celiac and the gluten-free diet, and people have come to think that gluten is evil, but it's not. So fill us in. What is gluten exactly? So, so gluten is the protein that is found in wheat, rye, and barley. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of it being evil, it's, it's recommended to follow a gluten-free diet if you have an autoimmune condition or um, a wheat allergy, such as either celiac disease, glutenataxia, or uh, there's a certain rash called dermatitis hepatiformis. That's the only treatment is 100% gluten-free diet. So what does gluten-free mean? That's pretty hard. Right. So what gluten-free means in terms of if you're reading a food label is that it is, according to the uh, FDA or the Food and Drug um, the Medicine Organization, is that it is less than 20 parts per million. So that means it's a voluntary um, recommendation where the foods are tested at, with certain companies, and then if, they, if the label is written gluten-free, not no gluten additives, but just gluten-free, that means that it's less than 20 parts per million, which is considered safe for people following the gluten-free diet. So just to go back, uh, if a person has celiac disease and they're exposed to gluten, it damages their intestine, they don't absorb some of their nutrients and can have all kinds of problems that I discussed with Dr. DiMarino. 
But there are people who um, are sensitive to gluten. So they don't have celiac disease, but they might get GI symptoms that are annoying but not harmful. Is that a good way to explain gluten sensitivity? I mean, exactly. I mean, it's non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which there's been some research and still current research on that. But that being said, it's almost like a lactose intolerant, meaning if you consume milk, you might develop some GI symptoms. There is an association if people eat gluten, they could develop GI symptoms, also some brain fog. So following a gluten-free diet will help their symptoms. But the difference mm-hmm. is the gluten isn't attacking their immune system, where gluten is the only allergen that actually attacks somebody's intestinal tract or their body if they have celiac disease. So you really have to be on a 100% gluten-free diet, meaning no, no cheating at all with somebody with celiac disease. And, and we don't want to go gluten-free unless there's a good reason, because gluten-free can lead to deficiencies in certain nutrients. So when you're gluten-free, what foods can a person eat? So because there could be risks for certain nutrient deficiencies, such as folic acid and some key vitamins and fiber, it's really important to choose naturally gluten-free foods that are high in fiber, such as brown rice, corn, sweet potatoes, beans, quinoa, um, nut flours, and we can even choose you know fresh fruits and vegetables, um, non-processed or unprocessed uh, deli meats, low-fat dairy products. Basically, shopping on the outskirts of the grocery store is the best way to get the naturally most nutritious gluten-free foods. And you always remind patients that gluten can sneak into your food even when you're being very careful. Tell us about examples of cross-contamination. So cross-contamination is the number one reason why our patients with celiac disease don't get better because they could be eating gluten-free bread but maybe um, putting a a, a buttery-flavored buttered spread that might have gluten in it. So it's a lot of the additives that are added to seasonings, soups, gravies, salad dressings, soy sauce that is not even made from soy. It's made from this hydrolyzed vegetable protein that is a gluten derivative. Um, Also different nuts, too. Nuts are really tough. They're not really packaged very well. Um, Things that are in bins, if you're buying gluten-free foods in bins, that could also have contamination. And dining out is one of the most... Um, common culprits for for cross-contamination as well. And some of those examples you've talked about when you order eggs or pizza, uh, maybe you could explain some of those examples. Exactly. So pizza, a lot of times they may offer a gluten-free pizza, but if they're cooking it on the same pan where the other pizza was, was cooked or if they're using the same slicer, that can be a problem. So a lot of times pizza restaurants will give you a separate pan and a separate slicer. So they're following gluten-free uh, uh, guidelines as well. The other issue is French fries. So French fries, you know, you think you go out and you're just having a French fry, but a lot of times fryers also have um, chicken nuggets in them and mozzarella sticks. So you're getting all the, the cross-contamination from those other gluten foods. And then if you go to a diner, I have so many patients that eat at the diner. It's convenient. You know, the food tastes good. You can get everything. But you have to remember a diner is cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner on how many different grills, maybe one. So they could be definitely cross-contaminating by putting, you know, the pancakes on where the eggs were were, were cooking. So even when you go out to eat and they even have a gluten-free menu, you still need to make sure and ask the the, uh, the wait staff or the chef, are you actually preparing this gluten-free? Are you cooking it on a separate grill? Are you, you know, changing pots and pans and things like that to make sure you're not getting the gluten contamination? Good point. And you you talk about the butter on uh, popcorn, too. Right. Well, the, the big thing is going to the movies, needing movie theater popcorn, which we're not necessarily doing now. But there's this product that's called Whirl, which is this buttery spread that um, tastes like butter. And they, a lot of times chefs actually use to cook with it. It's put on top of butter popcorn, but it's also used on a lot of grills. And the key ingredient is actually malt. 
which a lot of times the, the, the issue with the labeling, which can be a whole episode within itself, is that wheat is considered an allergen on a food label, not gluten. So malt and barley are not on that on the top eight allergens. So therefore, oh. foods like Rice Krispies is a huge allergen. People don't realize that are eating that or cornflakes. And also this particular buttery spread that's used a lot in cooking all have malts in it. And it is mis- very misleading because people may consume it thinking it's gluten-free and it really is not. I do stress then, people to get gluten-free labeled foods. It makes it so much easier. Mm-hmm. Well, and then I started to say that you've told us about so many other sources, vitamins, so many prepared foods, um, uh, vitamin products, medications that you'd never suspect, denture yeah. cream. Yeah, exactly. some so lipsticks. The, the big thing is, yeah. So patients, patients will come to me and they'll, they'll be like, okay, do I need to get gluten-free uh, makeup or shampoo? And I tell them, this is a disease of the intestinal tract, so it has to get into your mouth in order to cause the damage to the small intestine. So therefore, you don't have to get gluten-free shampoo or makeup. That being said, when it comes to medication, a lot of inactive ingredients, you know, to fill a pill, could be wheat. So if you're prescribed a prescription of either, you know, um, something for your cholesterol or, or anti-reflux medication, your physician's not going to know. You have to ask the pharmacist to contact the, the pharmaceutical company of where the medication's coming from because it could definitely have gluten in it, as well as all the over-the-counter. You know, I recommend calcium and vitamin D and iron when, when you become deficient, but you, you need to make sure that these are gluten-free. So you need to, again, also check with the manufacturer. And there are uh, multiple websites that you could find out some of this information for over-the-counter medications. There's different gluten-free apps that you could do. There's glutenfreedrugs.com is a great sure. website to go on. Sure. And you say when you're using a toaster oven, be be mindful or a pasta pot that you don't right. use the same pot when you're cooking gluten free. So right. the big message that you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and the big message is if you have celiac, please come back. Whether your doctor says every six months, or every 12 months, we need to follow your blood studies to see if gluten is sneaking into your diet and we check your antibodies if they're on the rise then we know there's some source and we also want to see if gluten is acting up again are you losing iron calcium vitamin a vitamin b12 zinc magnesium folate so many of these things can i have a specific panel that i actually Mm -hmm. have written up that you know every time you have a patient who comes in with celiac disease we do a, a blood panel where we'll do a DEXA scan to measure their bone density, and again, we'll measure all the fat-soluble vitamins, vitamins A, vitamins D, vitamin E, folic acid, vitamin B12, selenium, copper, and zinc. You know, today I had a patient come in, and, you know, she was diagnosed with celiac, and I actually sent a, you know, a, a script, you know, through the doctor to get those particular blood levels drawn. And the, the hardest part is this patient today, and 50% of these patients absolutely have no GI symptoms. This woman is only iron deficiency anemic. So she's never going to know when she's getting gluten by accident. You know, she's not going to have, she doesn't have those GI symptoms. So this is why it's so important to get these blood tests routinely done, plus to get your celiac antibodies done every four to six months until they're normal and once a year then after that. Mm-hmm. And as Dr. Diorino told us, unchecked and untreated um, celiac disease can lead to miscarriages, uh, increases your risk for lymphoma and GI cancers. And as you always say, Em, one one hundredth of a slice of bread is enough. People say, how much can I sneak in? It's my son's birthday. I love that cake. And you say? <laughs> right. It's what, right. It's up to one 
of one, if you take a piece of bread, you cut it up in a hundred different pieces, that one hundredth of a piece is enough to damage your small intestine. And I tell my mm-hmm. patients, it's almost like if you were to have a peanut allergy or a shellfish allergy, you know, you would never eat those foods if they're going to make your throat close or you're going to develop an anaphylactic. This is doing the same thing to your intestinal tract without you knowing it. And a disease of the small intestine, that's where you absorb all your nutrients. You don't necessarily absorb them in your colon. You absorb all your vitamins and protein, and everything is in that small intestine. So when you lose that, you're losing all of your absorption and, and you know, your nutritional status just is going to go downhill. And so it's really important to follow this diet with celiac disease. And patients yeah. will feel better. Yeah. I always tell my patients that S for small intestine, S for sponge. That's where you absorb all the good stuff. And the leftovers go to your large intestine, which is your trash compactor. And it can absorb. So you got to get the job done in that adorable little small intestine. Emily, where would we send patients to read more about celiac disease and gluten-free diets? Um, I mean, there's uh, a great... um uh, website we actually also team up with them. They're called Beyond Celiac, Celiac, and they have a lot of great educational materials. We they have a virtual walk. We were supposed to do the walk back in May, but it was canceled because of um, uh, of COVID. And you're doing one in October, or September or October. Also, you know our website for on again the Jefferson for Celiac Center does have lots of information. There's lots of different apps out there too, which I was recommending like Find Me Gluten Free and glutenfreedrugs.com. Also, it's really important to, you know, see a GI doctor before, you know, self-diagnosing, if you, if you self-diagnosing, or seeing a dietitian yes. because basically the treatment's diet. So if you get bored with your diet or you're worried that you're not getting the right nutrients in, and you know, there's so right. many different newer foods out that we can focus yes. on to give you a ba- the key is a balanced diet and a quality of life. So coming to a di- yes. dietitian that specializes in the gluten-free diet is the, is the way to go. Emily, thank you so much. I love listening to you. You just flow with information, and our listeners are very appreciative. I'm going to bring you back as soon as I can. Thanks, Em. Take care. Thank you so much. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. Dr. Marianne will return, but first, a medical message from one of our partners. back for our final segment on National Celiac Day with Dr. Anthony J. DiMarino. Jay, what is in the future for celiac patients? Good, good and important question um, because as I said earlier, it's easier today than it was even 10 years ago to be on a gluten-free diet. But frankly, all the studies have shown that over time, it gets very difficult. And in fact, even the most um, stringent people eventually go astray, and it's probably somewhere close to 50% of the people at one time or other cannot uh, manage the gluten-free diet. So what are, what's ahead? Well, first of all, we can genetically modify wheat. Now, the problem with that is that's GMO, and as you know, Marianne, a lot of our patients don't want to think about a GMO product. So uh, genetic uh, modification of wheat probably is not in anybody's future. Uh, The uh, ability to pre-digest gluten, and that's like using a lactate product. For those of people, uh, your listeners who have lactose intolerance, uh, they can go to the drugstore and buy over-the-counter lactate pills, which they can take with their favorite ice cream or, or milk and um, be protected. Well, there is a company that's very close to developing a product which they can take 
just before gluten or at the same time. And the, there are other ways. There is a vaccine that has been developed, but it's not very good. And I, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of something that will interfere with your immune system. What we particularly like in our center, and we're doing three different types of research uh, with all three companies these days, but the one that we like is the one that you take at the same time you before you eat, and you it, clo- it, it prohibits gluten from being absorbed. So if you don't get it into your absorption system, if it doesn't get into your system and it can't be absorbed, then it can't do its damage. So we kind of like it, right. and we that's that, closest to being introduced. So it's kind of like some of the medications we use that just kind of go through, do their job, and they're not absorbed into your system and can't interfere with your immune system. Exactly. So the Jefferson Celiac Center, yeah, that's brilliant, really. When, when things like this come along, you say, why didn't we think of that before? But the, the <laughs> Celiac Center at Jefferson is really um, leading the way in innovative research. So I know there are studies going on in our division. How would a patient be able to join a study? Is there a number they could call, Jay? Yeah, there is, and thank you for asking. It's one, I'm sorry, it's 215-9, the number 9, Celiac, C-E-L-I-A-C, Celiac. That's the the number. If you dial that number and say you're interested or you might want to be a volunteer for research, we would be happy to talk to you. Great to know because you're doing such beautiful work. And, uh, again, that number, for our listeners, all the Jefferson numbers begin with the number 9955. So 215-9-CELIAC will bring you to the Jefferson Celiac Center. And our website has great information that's written by our doctors, and uh, Emily Rubin will tell us more about it. Jay, thank you so much for gracing us with your time and your wisdom. Um, as, as I said earlier, Dr. Marino is a gentleman and a scholar, and I'm very fortunate to say that I uh, work in your division. So thank you for being with us today, and we learned a lot. It's a pleasure to be here, and I think Emily Rubin is an out-world's expert on food, so you're going to learn a lot, those people uh, who continue to listen to Emily. Thank you. Have a great week, Jay. Thank you. Thanks, Marianne. Take care. champion, Christopher Sapienza, the man with a vision. Christmas, a magical time of year filled with anticipation of Santa's arrival and the wonder of Christmas music. The bells, the chimes, the sweet voices of hopeful children, definitely my favorite songs. In recent years, I was invited to attend the Christmas concert at the Overbrook School for the Blind. Since 1832, this very special place in the Overbrook Farm section of West Philadelphia has offered an outstanding education for children who are visually impaired or blind and some with additional challenges to teach them to move independently and safely, enjoy programs in music, art, and sports so they can reach their full potential. The spirit of I can is palpable the minute you walk in the door. School for children with sight has its challenges, so imagine trying to learn math or music without seeing the numbers or notes. 
Enter Christopher Sapienza, music director and teacher at OSB. He studied piano and voice and has degrees in music performance and music education from the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, one of the oldest schools of music in the country. Chris has appeared in popular TV shows like Law and Order, Fringe, feature films like Unbreakable, and countless theater productions around the country. Was one of the first performers to travel on Disney Cruise. Chris brings his broad experience on the very first day of school. Yes, rehearsals for the Christmas show begin in September. He explains, we have ground rules. A great show requires discipline and respect for the work. His goal for perfection is contagious. Each student works so hard, they can't see the music they learn by rote memory, including every harmony. Each year the students choose a theme, Winter Wonderland, When You Dream. For 2020, the plan is a virtual choir. Each student will tape himself or herself, then all the voices of Overbrook will be combined into a full choir. We also look forward to the solos. Chris adds, what's really sweet is their support of each other. When the altos do their part perfectly, the others applaud. He often gets a chuckle when he hears a student say, is the blind leading the blind? Chris says, most of these students won't grow up to be professional musicians, but I want them to enjoy the musical experience. At the same time, he's infusing the value of good work ethic. Beyond singing, he's preparing them for life. And he treats them the way he would any kids. Be on time and pay attention. Some even earn detention. And when the students are together at OSB, they can forget their disabilities. Chris doesn't want to hear people say, those poor kids. He implores, they aren't disabled, they're able. And when the curtain rises each year on that spectacular opening night, the audience is spellbound and no one would see it any other way. We salute your real champion, Christopher Sapienza. Friends, support the Overbook School for the Blind. Visit obs.org. That's obs.org. Tune in next Sunday and hear from Dr. Robert Gabay, the Chief Scientific and Medical Officer of the American Diabetes Association, and learn all about diabetes. Listen to any of our shows on yourradiodoctor.com. Send us the story of your real champion to info at yourradiodoctor.com. Send your champion story to info at yourradiodoctor.com. And if you'd like to partner with the show, call Jacob Media at 267-261-3428. Up next is the perfect remedy for those back-to-school blues, Sid Mark and the Sounds of Sinatra. And remember, your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.